Amen. Amen, amen. church. One more time. Can we give it up for Pastor amen. Chuck this morning? <laughs> amen. 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 Well, um, God is good. And all the time, God is good. He's faithful. He's holy. He's righteous. He's my soon coming king. Amen. And uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Guys, I, I want to tell you in all humility this morning, it's a privilege and an honor to be a part of this family. And I mean that with all my heart. You guys are awesome. You really are. And um, to be a part of a, of a team. Um, Pastor Bob and I were talking this morning. I said, we don't have a staff. We have a team. We're all the difference between the two. We have a team. And all of this team, I'm going to tell you, church, this team loves you with all their heart. And uh, I don't think it's a season. This ain't got nothing to do with my message, by the way. This is, this is extra. It's not. I, I don't think this is a season that we just circle the wagons and try to keep what we have. But I want to show the devil up and say, we're going to grow in the middle of this season. We're going to grow. People are going to get saved. Amen. People are going to get water baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't wait. God's got some exciting things ready for us in this place. Not down the road. And I thank God for what he's doing down the road. I thank God what he's doing over the next hill. I thank God what he's doing over in other countries. But I thank God for what he's doing right here at Northville Christian Assembly. And I thank God with all of my heart. Amen. we got great days ahead of us. Well, my task this morning, my assignment from God this morning, <laughs> can I say it that way? Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, and there's no way in the world I can hit all these at the same time, guys. We'd be here way longer than you want to be. There you go. But I think we're just going <laughs> to, amen, amen, Danny. Danny knows he's part of my men's class on Wednesday night, and I've got a bad habit. Right, Mark? I've got a bad habit. We'll, we'll study a, a, a portion of Scripture, and I feel like I'm in the driver's seat, so I'll put the thing in reverse and back over that Scripture about two or three times because I think there's more to squeeze out of it, you know what I mean, and, and everything like that. We just have ourselves a ball. I, I, I love that. I love every second of it. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, uh, just as a, a, a word of, of setup this morning before we pray, I, this is unlike Paul's other writings. Um, Paul's letter to Ephesians that all of our team has been preaching about was not to correct any wrong behaviors or a problem in the church. It wasn't that at all. Instead, he wrote to encourage the Ephesian church and called the church at large to continue to walk in unity. And that's the topic for this portion of Scripture, is unity. Keep that, keep that in your mind. With their calling as being followers of Christ, walking together. Structurally, as we've been talking about these past few weeks, the book of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 it underlines the believer's position and role as a believer. But chapters 4 through 6 
discuss the, the specific practices, the way children or uh, Christians should behave. We're children of God, by the way. All right. Chapters 1 through 3 tells us what we have in Christ. But chapters 4 through 6 tells us how to execute these graces. In summary, can I say it this way? Chapters 1 through 3 is what we have. Chapters 4 through 6 is what we do. Now, I said all that to say this. It's because the second word of our scripture today, you're going to understand that. It says, I therefore. There's a swing. There's a shift in, in, in topic here. Uh, Denny, the old pastor used to say, if you see the word therefore, you better check it out and make sure what it's there for, you know, because there's a, there's, a, there's a shift in idea. And so this morning, let me, let me do this. I'd like to take the liberty this morning, body, if you would allow me to, not to read through the whole 16 scriptures at once, but would you journey with me this morning as we just kind of read through each one, and let's harvest some gold nuggets this morning. Can we do that? Would that be okay to do it that way? And uh, I believe God's got something to say to us this morning in this service. Hey, would you pray with your pastor this morning? Father, I give you thanks. I thank you, Lord, for water baptism. I thank you, Lord, that this is still the body of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you're still saving people. I thank you, Lord, that you're still healing, delivering. God, you're restoring. And God, this morning, I don't think this morning's any different. I think you want to do that in this service, Lord, this morning. And so, Father, I'm asking you right now to take your servant out of the way. But let the word of God stand on its own this morning that we would feast upon it for days and weeks to come. And Lord, remind us of what we've heard this morning. That we would give you glory and honor that we'd worship you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I give you thanks, Lord, for the word that we have today. And we ask it in that precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would somebody in the house say amen with your buddy up here? Amen, amen. The grace of unity. I want to talk about the grace of unity. I want to talk about the model of unity. I want to talk about the gift of unity. And I want to talk about the growth of unity this morning. That's my four points. So you get those uh, ahead of time. So first of all, the grace of unity. Let's start. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. Everybody say worthy. Of the calling of which you've been called. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Guys, let me go back to that worthy. I, I had you say that word for, uh, for a reason. We realize that the Winter Olympics right now, that happens every four years, have just completed in Beijing. Uh, the athletes that traveled there um, uh, have not achieved this opportunity to compete at that level all alone. Would you say amen to that? Because it took hours and hours of training and preparation and the unified efforts of the best trainers and the best coaches of the world. One thing that we're quickly made aware of is that when an athlete is talented enough and skilled enough to receive his or her Olympic medal, they are not only participating for themselves, but they represent the country that they're from. That country's flag always goes up, and the respective anthem is always played 
for all to see and hear when they're standing on the metal stand, they call it, and when they stand there. You see, they're participating for something bigger than themselves. When the participant medals, the individual athlete always makes their respective country look great. Can I say that this morning? Beloved, in a way, our task is the same. When we walk worthy to manifest God in such a way that all that view our lives would bring praise and glory and worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords, our task at hand is to make our God look great. Is that okay? And just like the Olympics, making God look great just can't happen. That accomplishment will never happen unless there's a coordinated, unified effort of the entire body. We've got to stay together. Can I get an amen on that one? All right. Paul does not tell us here in, in verse 3 to manufacture unity. If you look at verse 3 very carefully, he tells us to maintain the unity of the spirit that is given and existing in the whole body. I, I'm going to take a step here and just say this is not organizational uniformity. This is a whole living body of unity. There is diversity in unity. Right? Uniformity and unity are very, very much different. I got to go back to sports here just a little bit. Let, let me do that this morning. In the game of baseball, think about this now. There's nine players on the field at one time. Uniformity that would be applied to a baseball team would cause all nine players on the field to take their positions on first base. Can you imagine that? Hey, dude, can you move over? You know, we're all on first base, right? That's uniformity. You've got nine first basemen. Can, can you imagine all those crammed up on, on the base all at one time? Okay. What would get done? Nothing would get done. You've got to have somebody to pitch the ball, somebody to catch the ball, somebody to play third base, second base, outfield, right? Nothing would get done. The game would be impossible to continue. Paul gives us a similar example here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 19. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that, that, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged, God arranged, amen, God arranged, all the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Amen. And, and now if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Can you see? It's not uniformity, but it's unity. It's working together. We're all important. Every member of this church and all the body of Christ is important because they all bring a different gift to the body. But we have one goal, one purpose, and, 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 and it's, my goodness, it's just one objective. It's like a ball team. They're out there to win. We're better than the ball teams. 
because we're, we're battling with one, as James and the team sung this in the morning, they've never lost a battle. <laughs> they've never lost a battle. We eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit is what Paul is challenging us and encouraging the church to use by all the gifts through every individual in the body of Christ. And we do this how? Verse 2, with all humility, with all gentleness, with all patience, bearing one another in love. A church of this size, I guarantee you, you will have somebody that will walk through those doors that's had a very bad, horrible, good-for-nothing, worse week than they've ever had in their lives. Amen? When they walk through that door, they may not be the friendliest, the happiest, the smilingest person that you've ever seen either because they've been through a horrible week. That verse, bearing one another in love. The enemy will always try to take the smallest things and separate the body of Christ. We cannot let him do that. We bear one another. We have patience with one another. We approach each other through humility and, great, and, and gentleness. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I understand my brother, my sister has had a very rotten week this week. It's okay, Mark, if they don't shake my hand. I'm not mad, I'm praying for them. Because I refuse to let the enemy upset the unity in the body of Christ over something that trivial. Amen. And I believe that the sole purpose, the goal, the one purpose, one objective that we have, is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unsaved and make disciples of all nations. Amen. That was point number one. Point number two, we've looked at the grace of unity. Let's look at the model of unity. I mean, Pastor Chuck, what is the model for us to, in the call to maintain this unity of the Spirit? Verse four. For there is how many? Right. One body. How many spirits? Just as you were called to one. Hope that belongs to your call. How many lords? One. How many faith? How many baptisms? How many gods there are? And Father of all, who is over all and through all. And Do you get the word one there? <laughs> Do you get the word one? What a model. What a model to follow. We labor to model the unity of the spirit because there's one body and one spirit, regardless of all the differences and discrepancies that attempt to arise and separate believers, and, and such as, well, racial backgrounds. How about social status? How about gender? How about face masks? How about vaccinations? Did I say that? Oh, man, did I say that? We belong to one body and we get there through one holy spirit amen there's unity in the body of believers that it, it transpires because we have the holy spirit dwelling in us 
and in our hearts. Beloved, Christianity is not a club to join, nor is it a, a mystical, unreal entity. But true Christianity is a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's a relationship with other believers. Amen. Although our churches will differ on, on, on worship songs, they'll differ on d different styles of preaching, uh, they may differ on prayer styles. There are core truths that we all that make up the foundation of, of Christianity that are never changing. Can I give you one? Jesus is eternally the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's it. I can't change that. Don't want to change that. I believe Jesus told the truth right there. Yeah. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. The one spirit that Apostle Paul, we know that's the Holy Spirit. And, God, and Jesus said, if I go away, I'll send you another comforter. And you know what that was? That was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance because that one spirit made us one body. And now we're promised one hope. Right? One hope. You take away a person's hope and they'll die. They got no hope, no future. Beloved, we have a blessed hope this morning. <laughs> Amen. What is it, Pastor Chuck? Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for Jesus today? I love that. I love the last part of, of, of verse 6 right there. He said, who is over all, through all, and in all. If you had any doubt of who is in control, doubt where God is at during times of struggle, who is living in the hearts of his people, I believe the end of verse 6 just cleared that up for us. God is ever with us, living in us. He'll never forsake us, and he'll never leave us. He is the model of unity, and brothers and sisters, we have to stay together. Amen. We've explored the grace of unity. That was point one. The model of unity was point two. We've got to look at the gifts for unity. What has God provided? What has he gifted us to help us in our effort to maintain the unity of the spirit? Verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one. Everybody got the one there, right? who also descended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. Some of you may know this as the pastor or the shepherd and the teachers. I got to go back, guys, if you'll let me, to verse 8. But I like the New King James Version of this verse 8. It says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And gave gifts to men. 
You see, in verse 8 there, Paul is quoting Psalms 68, 18, where David is resonating God's praises after a victory in battle. If you understand Old Testament times, the rival kingdom or the enemy of those cities would attack at a vulnerable time when perhaps the king of the city and his army were away conducting business or, or in a foreign land. And so when the king of the city would return with his army, he often found that his realm had been looted and burned and the inhabitants taken away in captivity. And thus the people were held in captivity. Oftentimes when the king of this city and the army returned to their city and realized what had transpired, they immediately would go into the enemy's realm and they would recapture their own people along with the goods that had been taken. There's an example of this, folks, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It gives account of King David when he took up residence in the town of Ziklag. Hey, where are you from? I'm from Ziklag. <laughs> you are what? I'm from Ziklag. All right. I don't know who named that city. But anyway, I'm going to tell you something. The name Ziklag means measure pressed down. That's what that name means, pressure. How would you like to dwell in a city whose name means under pressure? <laughs> That's really what it is. Where you live, under pressure. I don't know. We might be living under that now. I'm not saying. Oh, there you go. But while David was away, the Amalekites came and attacked Ziklag, and they burned it with fire. And the Bible, uh, and, and the Bible affirms that David's wives were even taken in the conflict. David, after they wept and cried, and they could not cry anymore, but David strengthened him. The Bible said he strengthened himself in the Lord. And he inquires of God and receives God's support and promise. He overtakes the Amalekites and recovers all. If you understand what I'm saying, David in that occasion took captivity captive. He went and got his own people. Now, in Roman times, when Paul writes this, let me say it this way, a successful military commander that invaded the enemy's camp and victoriously recaptured and restored that which was stolen from the empire, upon returning home, they would be presented with a victory parade down the central street of the city with his troops and the spoils of his conquest. And this general would be placed into the finest chariot it would be given a crown made of laurel branches, and he would be dressed in the most superb purple and gold Roman toga. And the shouts of adoration and applause would be heard from the adoring crowds. Folks, let me tell you something this morning. I came to tell you I know of an eternal Lord of hosts. He's the captain of the armies of Almighty God, and he's never lost a battle. And when mankind was hopelessly lost, held in captivity of sin, they were stolen by the deception interaction of the enemy in the Garden of Eden. This commander-in-chief left his throne in heaven, and he took the form of a man. He died on a bloody cross, and he rose in three days. And guess what? He broke the chains that held his people captive in sin, and he's the one that has rendered captivity captive. And his name, if you don't know it, is Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. Oh, I got to take this. Um, I'm going down a rabbit trail, guys. Sorry about that. I got to take this a step farther. One of these glorious days, we who have received his gift of salvation, we will get to see Jesus face to face. 
And at that time, let me tell you, there's no need for a victory parade. For we'll see him seated upon his throne. And I firmly believe, folks, we're going to replicate the, the actions of the 24 elders that fell down and they worshipped him. And then they cast their crowns before the throne at his feet. And when I see Jesus, I believe, too, that we'll cast any crown that, that we may have, uh, have been awarded in this life at his nail-scarred feet. We're going to do the same. We're going to do the same. Why? That's going to be so spectacular. But, you know, let me take this thought one more step. I read about a city at the end of Revelation chapter 21. It's called the New Jerusalem. It, it's, a, it's a place that one day we will experience. A city in which God used pure gold as concrete for, to pave his streets. He used pure pearl as iron to erect the 12 gates of that city. And pure jasper as cinder blocks to build his walls. Church, let me tell you, in comparison to the worth of the Lamb of God that took away my sins and your sins, all of that materials to create that city, they pale in value. Why? Because without Jesus Christ, I'm not even there. I'm not even there. Oh, give me Jesus. Wherever he is, that's heaven for me. Oh, God, help us. God, I praise you this morning. Because without you, I'm not even there. I'm not even there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Verse 11. I got oh, to run. Got to run. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or the pastors and teachers. Folks, he's given us leadership gifts in the body so that we don't have to do this alone. We can be the Olympic athlete and have people to help us, to teach us, to support us. This important verse mentions spiritual responsibilities and leadership positions that Christ gave to the church as a gift. In this context, these gifts are actually people who've been called to special functions. The list, the list here is no means is it complete. There are other types of gifts in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Guys, you can read those. But these gifts were given to us, to the church, to keep the unity of the Spirit, to help us. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul related the importance of the apostles and prophets writing that God's building was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So I'm just going to run through these, just hit the treetops a little quick with these. Apostle number one is, it gives an authoritative de declaration of the whole body of truth concerning Jesus Christ. If I had an opinion today, and, and it's, guys, take it for what it is, I think these are the theologians of our time that pour over every letter, every word of the Bible and, and create and help us create the doctrine that we have. I know in the Assemblies of God we have the 16 fundamental doctrines that we have. We didn't get that without people pouring over the scriptures and understanding and giving us identity of who we are. The prophet inter in interprets and clarifies that authoritative word and explains the truth so that it becomes clear, vital, and compelling. Now I will say this at this juncture, the gift of the prophet differs from the gift of the teacher in that the prophet tends to deal more with the sweeping 
principles of Scripture and truth. Understand what Paul has just said upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, okay? So it's more of a generalization. And, and it leaves the development of the more specific areas to the teacher. Number three, the evangelists are those that possess a special gift of communicating the gospel in relevant terms to those who are not yet Christians. Thank you, Lord, for the evangelists. Amen. And they were traveling or itinerary missionaries. That's what it comes to my mind. These are missionaries uh, that, that preach the gospel to the unconverted and called them to repentance. It's important to note that the purpose of evangelization is to carefully but simply help unbelievers be aware of their lostness and, and, and through the proclamation of, of the gospel, you know, as, as Jesus Christ is preached as the only Savior and Lord. The pastor, the shepherd, preaches God's word for the purpose of nourishment and strength of the church. I want to just make a little side note here. The first three, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, seems to be more mobile in, in the body of Christ. But the pastor and the teacher seem to be more stationary, if you will. And, and they stay with the body to encourage the body to, to, for nourishment and strength of the church. Caring for a church family involves a balance of administration of the church with the call of serving it. The pastor is the leader, but he's also a servant. You know, and, and the balance in the act is not easy at times. <laughs> you know, you guys are easy, though. That's all right. Yeah. And it requires the Lord to help us for sure, absolutely. But the teacher teaches to strengthen and establish the heart of one being taught by expounding on the Word of God. They're instructors. They're the gift to the church to provide education to the Word. And by the way, guys, can I tell you, the word teacher... That title was used 41 times in the New Testament of Jesus Christ our Lord. It was used that many times. Teachers are empowered to explain what the Bible says and help apply it to the heart and conscience of those saints. You know, teachers didn't just simply impart information or open up new ways of thought. They also urged their hearers to live by what they had learned. So vital is the ministry of teaching to make disciples that even Paul exhorted young Timothy in Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to, what? Teach, there you go, also. And so that all of these offices are leadership to, to serve and to help our church stay in unity and stay together, okay? I, I love the body of Christ not to allow the enemy to come in and separate us. I, 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 just, I just can't do that. Don't want to do that. The work of leadership is not a human intervention. Did you get this? This was the gift of Jesus Christ. It, it's the appointment, the calling of Christ. He fits and qualifies, not whom men themselves make and appoint. Can I say that? Not whom men or themselves make and appoint. It's a calling of God. There's a variety of roles, but listen, all of these positions are confronted with the same task, the same objective, the same purpose in unity for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. They all have the same goal, and so they're unified. So the calling of these leaders may differ, but there's a unity of task, and that leads us to the next element of Paul's writing here. We've explored the grace, the model, the gifts of unity. Now we'll look at the growth of unity. How many would like to grow in unity? Come on, can we, can we do that? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, there you go, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, the one body, joined, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. And we previously said these gifted leaders were given for the ultimate goal to equip the saints. The word equip means to make right. It's like the setting of a broken bone to bring completion or training. And so we're equipping. So the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they furnish and equip the believers for this task, which results in building up or growing the body of Christ. So the, the church builds itself up in faith as members care for one another. And they show love and patience and kindness and humility to one another and generally manifest the other gifts that God brings. But the church also builds itself up as it reaches out to the surrounding community, to those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior with the love of Christ. And they draw others and they say, I want to take as many people as I can to heaven with me. I want you to go too. And so uh, God has given this church an enormous responsibility to make disciples of every nation. Matthew 28. This involves preaching, teaching, healing, nurturing, giving, administration, building up, and many other tasks. But trying to fulfill this command alone would be absolutely humanly impossible. Guys, we can do it together. We can do it together. God calls us members of his body. Nobody gets to be a bystander or just an observer. We're all important. We all have a gift to bring to the table. Everyone in church is called to do the work of the ministry. Some of us can do one task, some can do another. But together, in unity, we can obey God more fully than any of us could do it alone. So I believe that sometimes we can overestimate what we can do by ourselves, but we can often underestimate what we can do as a group. As the body of Christ, I know we can accomplish more together equipped by the unity of the Holy Spirit than we could ever dream possible. Because I serve a God that there is nothing impossible. Do you serve him this morning? Why, Pastor John? I think verse 14. We need to grow so that we, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. This isn't a part of my notes, and this is not a gripe session, but I am wore out on gimmick gospels. I am wore out. Every new thing, I got can I throw a flag on the play here? I'm going back to my sports roots. There you go. When I hear the words, a fresh and new revelation, I'm easy to throw a flag on the play. I'm sorry. You better watch what comes behind that. 
be careful. Many times, it's unbalanced teaching and an unbalanced belief. Has anybody been there and heard that and know that besides me? Can I get a, can I get a hand on it? Yep. Did I say that okay? Is that all right? Believers, we're called to maturity in the faith. Otherwise, we become susceptible to false teaching. That's what he said, every wind of doctrine. That's what Paul's talking about here. And let me say this to the new believers. You need to be protected. You need to be nourished because, because as young believers in Christ, you can become unstable. You've not grown deep roots yet. You might be without direction and susceptible to manipulation. But let me tell you, the body of Christ here at Northville will do everything they can to protect you from that. Come on. Paul is giving us a picture of a, a small boat on a lake that's tossed to and fro and blown about, unable to stay on course and reach its destination. Sometimes our young believers are, are unable to discern trickery or craftiness. And, and, and they'll be knocked about with various teaching contrary to God's word. They're easy to do that. I don't want to be a church that says, okay, you prayed and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ this morning. Have a nice day. I just think we fall short when we do that. So we're designed, especially on Wednesday nights, to have everything that we possibly can to encourage and bring new believers in so that they have a more uh, nourishment, I guess you could say, from the Word of God. Can I say it that way? I, I got to warn you, I beware teachers and philosophies in the world that, that, that say key ideas like salvation and redemption are the same in all religions. Uh-uh. There's new age philosophies out there, comparative religion classes, if you will, that exist. And sometimes they do find patterns of similarities in all non-Christian beliefs. But even if those parallels exist, they cannot explain the very foundation of our Christian faith. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I think that summed it up. Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, not let each person find God in their own way. He said, whoever drinks of this water that I give him will never thirst. Not whatever drink you choose will be good as any other. When we're faced with challenges to our faith, believers, we have to examine the spiritual truth with godly leaders and study the word for ourselves to stand firm against these false teachings. There ain't a dozen ways to get to God. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If Christ is the only way, then all these others are the not way. Is that right? If he's the only way, then the others are not way. They're a deception. If Christ is truth, then everything else is a lie. There is no middle ground here. Either what he said in, in chapter 14, verse 6, Denny, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father through me. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either truth or it's a lie. 
You have to pick the difference. That's it. There's no other gray area there. I've seen too many transformed lives. He told the truth. I've seen too many healings. Jesus told the truth. I've seen too many restorations. He told the truth. I'm going to see a water baptism because God has put it in the hearts of people that I want to be water baptized. Guess what? Jesus is right. He was truth. Verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. As followers of Christ, we have to be committed to speaking the truth. But listen to me. This is not a license to yield scriptural truth as a sword against one another as an opportunity to hurt and to injure. Just because you speak the truth doesn't give you a right to yield it to butcher somebody. Pastor Chuck, are you kidding me? Knowledge is knowing something. Wisdom is applying knowledge correctly and in timely fashion. Don't just know something, be wise. Okay? That, that means our words should be honest and our actions should reflect that. And should reflect Christ's compassionate love. Speaking the truth in love sometimes is not always easy or convenient or pleasant. But it is necessary if the church is going to do Christ's work in the world. There's a theologian that, that I read, John Stott, and he says it this way. He said, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. And love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to hold the two together. I think that's a good word. Pastor James, come help me, buddy. Verse 16. Finish our time here. From whom the whole body joined, let's say joined up, held together by every joint which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ is the head of this body of believers, and its solitary source of life. Without Jesus, church, there is no body. Without Jesus, there is no church. From him alone, the body grows and builds itself up in love. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Believers from all different backgrounds, from all different nations, all different languages, who makes up the whole body, are held together by a strong bond and have the goal of growing spiritually. But this only happens as each part does its work in unity. Members of the body receive what they need and are responsible to use what they have. For what? Not for themselves, but for the good of the whole. We receive gifts not for our own prestige or our own acclaim. We receive these gifts 
build up other believers in the church. So spiritual unity is not something we manufacture, but it's something that we've been given in Christ, and we have to make the best effort we can to protect it and to maintain it. We've got to stay together. Truth unites, but lies divide. Love unites, but selfishness divides. Therefore, speaking the truth in love, let us equip one another, edify one another, that all of us may grow to be more like Jesus. The preservation of unity is a responsibility that's been given to the people in the church. In this unity of structure, there's a variety of functions. We all bring something to the table. We always bring, we all bring something into the sanctuary, all the different gifts. But each individual contributes to the unified growth as he allows his and her particular gifts to function. Come on, church. We're in transition time. I know that. But let's stay focused on the goal, and that's to be unified in the spirit, maturing in the faith, growing in Christ. Not for us, but for his glory. Let's make God look good. Let's make him look good. I don't think we have to circle the wagons. We can grow in this. It's not us for no more, but even in a transition time, God can make us grow. He's still in the soul-saving business. He's still in the water baptism business. He's still in the restoration business. He's still in our communion services. Is he still here? We could grow. We could grow. Why? Not because we're so hot and we got it all together. That's because God is here. And he has given us the unity of the spirit. Can we stay together on that?